Hello, you're listening to On Israel in uh, Al Monitor, and I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Few jobs in the Israeli military are more stressful and less rewarding than being a charge in charge of public diplomacy in times of war. It's just as hard, and perhaps even more so, as leading soldiers into battle, where at least you have a chance of winning. In what Israel is called Hasbara, meaning trying to explain Israel's actions and views, victory is almost impossible. That's especially true for a country long perceived as the regional Goliath fighting a, an asymmetric wars against far weaker enemies. Whatever you do, however articulate and bright and just you are, it's hard to come out of these clashes smelling like roses. But uh, the three-day military operation that Israel conducted against the Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza early this month, codenamed Breaking Dawn, actually yielded quite a few achievements for Israel's public di diplomacy machine. Chief among them was its success in discrediting the Palestinian narrative that blamed Israel's military operation for the deaths of innocent civilians, among them children, in Gaza. Using intelligence information, aerial photos, and real-time video clips, Israel did what it failed to do during its military operation in the West Bank this past May, in which one of the Arab world's star television reporters, Shirin Abu Akleh, was killed. This time, Israel managed to get across its version. The innocents in Gaza were killed by rockets fired by the Islamic Jihad at Israel, which fell short of their mark and landed instead inside Gaza. We will uh, dive into this complex issue of Hasbara with today's On Israel guest, Karen Hajiyuf, which is the international spokeswoman to Prime Minister Yair Lapid. Prior to this uh, position, Karen served as special advisor for foreign affairs and communications to Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Before joining the Prime Minister's office, Karen served for 12 years in the IDF, reaching the rank of, rank of major. Among her positions in the IDF, Karen served as the spokesperson of the Northern Command, the head of the IDF's social media, and the head of the IDF's public diplomacy. Major Karen Hajiov will join us right after this short break. I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it. This past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts along with first-class reporting and analysis.
Now I'm happy to uh, introduce and welcome uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Major Karen Hajayov. How are you doing, Major Hajayov? And thank you for joining us here in On Israel and Al Monitor. Hey, Ben. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks. So let's uh, first start with a macro question uh, from, uh, from above. How would you describe Israel's uh, strengths and uh, weaknesses in getting across its point of uh, view during military clashes, such as the latest operation in Gaza, especially in the era of social media and cyber challenges? So that's a really good question, Ben. Um, I would say that our greatest strength is our truth. On one side, you have terrorist organizations fueled by Iran, dedicated to the death and destruction of Jews and Israelis. And on the other hand, you have the state of Israel doing what it takes to defend itself with a military that acts according to morals and an ethical code of conduct. It's good versus bad. So it's not that difficult of a story to tell, but the difficult part is making sure that people listen. And that's where I'd say we need to improve on. So how do we do that? How do we make people listen? Make sure that people listen, it's, it's interesting. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, because we can continue saying what we want to say, but if nobody listens, then what have we achieved? Um, so just like we did with, you know, we, we've, we found this situation in the, last, um, in the last few rounds where we're saying our narrative, we're sharing our story, but, um, you know, not ultimately people uh, won't necessarily listen and that story won't be shared. So the, the, the good thing is, the good news is, is that in a time of social media, um, there's an advantage that creativity and even at times being audacious is very helpful to make sure that your narrative is heard. Um, it's a matter of making sure that your story goes viral. Uh, you have to try and find a bring, a, you've got to try and find a, a way to bring attention to this narrative and to amplify the message that we want to share. So it could be that for people to listen to Israel's narrative, we must even use memes or other means to make sure that people see what we're saying and hear our narrative and um, and kind of share Israel's story. Uh, so even if I look back at 2019, for example, I was running the IDF social media. Um, we were having a conflict at that time with Islamic Jihad in Gaza again. Yeah. Um, and I posted a video um, about Islamic Jihad that my incredibly talented soldiers in the IDF spokespersons unit made, explaining what Islamic Jihad is and really detailing the really like the the terrible uh, things that they've done over the years, the terrorist attacks that they've carried out. And I, I could have written a caption for the video that was informative about, you know, what this video was about. But instead we wrote as the caption, Islamic Jihad doesn't want you to see this video, but we're going to tweet it anyway. And that video got millions of views because the caption was, it grabbed attention and it made people ultimately listen to our narrative. So, it's not just about telling the story, which luckily we're on the, we're on the good side and we have good things to share. It's also making sure that people listen to our narrative. And um, I have, and I have it, to say that uh, yeah. creativity, like you said, is, is the key word and the key point. And it rests on your shoulders right now. But before we will go on diving into this, I, I, have, I have something that I wanted. I, I had the sense that foreign media coverage of uh, Operation uh, Breaking Dawn, the last one, 
was not as intensive uh, as in the past for a variety of reasons, both because the world is mostly concerned with the Russia-Ukraine war and the China-Taiwan tensions. And because, let's face it, people are tired of the same story with Gaza over and over again. Do you agree? I th ben, I think you're absolutely right. The recent Operation Breaking Dawn hardly received international media coverage. Now, on the one hand, that's a good thing because associating conflict with Israel isn't something we necessarily want. And yes, the world is preoccupied with other things going on in the world at the moment, as you mentioned. But sadly, I think that the real reason it wasn't covered is because not many people were killed. It's a really sad reality, but it's the reality. Um, throughout the last, you know, the days of the operation, I was speaking to journalists around the clock. And after the, there were four kids who were killed in a strike, by, it was a rocket fired by Islamic Jihad, the rocket fell inside Gaza and killed um, four killed four children. And I called one of the journalists that I work with regularly and I said to him, I said to him, ask yourself this, if those kids were to have been killed by Israeli fire, you know very well that their faces would have been on the front page of your newspaper tomorrow morning. Who will tell their story? But there's another point that can't be missed. It's very difficult for journalists in, in, in Gaza and in in general, journalists to, con to convey and to cover what's happening on the Palestinian side. In Gaza, there's no freedom of speech, let alone freedom of press. Journalists in Gaza are under threat, they're censored. So it is a very complex situation, um, especially considering the complete restriction that they have in Gaza. It's, uh, it's fascinating what you just said about the kids. And I wanted to ask you about uh, this incident later. And uh, so let's go on. As, as you know, many Israelis felt in the past, and some still do, that the whole world is against us. There was a slogan about it, meaning that uh, the foreign media is uh, an anti-Israel bias for various reasons, including Arab pressure. Has that changed? And can one say that the coverage of Israel is fairer and lends itself to, to explaining our positions when uh, we have evidence and logic on our side? So Ben, you'll have to forgive me because in general, I'm a very big optimist. I would say that things are changing and they're becoming more professional. Um, I always make the point of speaking to journalists I work with who I have to I have a lot of respect for as well. And I speak to them in professional terms because the, the, prof the profession of journalism, it has standards, it has ethics, it has rules and guidelines and policies. And I always tell journalists, you know, you can be as critical as you want. In fact, I'd go as far as saying that we appreciate critical journalism. It's part of our democracy. And I know that Prime Minister Lapid appreciates critical journalism as well. But if you're, if you're not professional in your coverage, if the information that journalists provide to their readers is not accurate, or people are interviewing only one side of the narrative and not sharing the full story, then I will send a, hardly, a harshly worded letter to their editor. And if needs be, they won't get the interview they asked for or the access that they used to have. If you're not professional when you work, then, then you know, that's, it's another story. Um, so I'd say most of the journalists that I work with are good people, they're professionals, they're here to write stories, they want to be accurate. And instead of taking a passive aggressive approach to the media, I think it's much more beneficial when we focus on shared interests of accuracy and, and ultimately writing big stories that people want to read. And I think that that approach has, has been paying off. 
Okay. Uh, now we're going to that uh, incident that you just mentioned. There were at least three incidents of civilian being killed and injured in Gaza during Israel's uh, latest operation there. In all three, it turned out that the casualties were caused by Islamic Jihad rockets. Can you tell us what happens on the Israeli side when uh, there is a report of civilian casualties? Uh, are there feverish efforts to obtain photos or radar images in order to find out who was responsible? In this uh, specific case, Israel was quick, even uh, I think even very quick to respond and show evidence of the faulty rockets in real time. Uh, was this the result of lessons learned from past operations and a more efficient mechanism that enables real-time response? Uh, what did Israel have this time that it didn't have in the tragic shooting of, uh, for example, uh, death of uh, Shirin Abu Akhle? Mm -hmm. So, first of all, you're right. During Operation Breaking Dawn, Islamic Jihad, um, they actually killed more Gazan civilians from their own rockets than Israel did. Um, so around one in, in five rockets fired by Islamic Jihad fell inside Gaza. Um, actually, on Saturday night, when you know when you were speaking about how quickly we were to respond, Saturday night was when um, there were reports of children in Gaza that were killed from a strike. Um, so suddenly, I my phone was 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 being you know bombarded with phone calls from journalists in Israel and around the world, asking me what happened, telling me that they had heard that IDF an IDF strike had resulted in a number of children being killed in Gaza. So I initially I instantly went to um, the the prime minister's uh, team. We we gathered together. Um, prime Minister Lapid at that time had just convened a security cabinet. And uh, he had asked for the information about what happened. The IDF uh, shared with him that they confirmed that it was a misfire by an Islamic Jihad uh, rocket, resulting in the in the murder of those children. And Prime Minister Lapid in the, stopped the, the security cabinet and asked Minister Philip Roper and myself to make statements, him to the Israeli media and myself to the international media, to ensure that as quickly as possible, we share that information with the world. Um, at the same time, the Prime Minister's office also has the uh, National Public Diplomacy Directorate who ensured that the message was sent out as quickly as possible. Um, and the IDF spokespersons unit worked incredibly quickly, released the videos, you know, and fact-checked everything and made sure that what we were sharing was uh, getting out as quickly as possible. And yes, Israel is getting on top of its game. Um, I would sum it up as fact-checking, speed, and working in a very coordinated manner. And um, that's how we made sure that the lies didn't spread. Yes, this was a real uh, state of the art uh, from our point of view. Do you think the, the Abraham Accords have improved Israel's image and do they make your job easier in terms of public diplomacy? Do these agreements uh, also influence Arab media coverage during operations such as the Breaking Dawn? So I really think that the world now recognizes that there's a new Middle East. Um, I I can even I can even share with you that when I have conversations with journalists um, or even government officials around the world, there's a genuine excitement about this change. I mean, like-minded countries coming together and working towards peace and prosperity is it's really a really positive thing. Um, and you know. When I joined prime, the former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett uh, on the first official visit for, of the Prime Minister uh, to um, Bahrain, we actually had the largest international media delegation on a, 
any trip of any prime minister in, in history joining a trip abroad. They were just so excited to, to take part both in Bahrain and um, also you know, covering uh, the UAE and other countries. Um, and what we've seen is even pictures of you know, prime minister, Israeli prime ministers and, and, and leaders from these, uh, the Abraham Accords countries on the front pages of newspapers. Um, you know, positive news about Israel on the front page of newspapers is not, is not something that we should take for granted. And, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's really positive. It's a positive um, part of Israel's story, but it's, it's also a positive part of Israel's new reality and um, something that we can all be optimistic towards uh, in the future. I want to be sure it was the largest uh, uh, convention or, or delegation in uh, Israel prime minister's history or global? In, in the Israeli prime minister's history, we, sometimes we have journalists joining trips and with the uh, prime minister's trip to Bahrain, we had the largest uh, number of journalists, foreign journalists to join an Israeli prime minister abroad. Yes, because I there was, was so much interest. I was in... one of these journalists for 20 years and I remember many journalists uh, going with the prime ministers to all the peace conventions and the Oslo Accords in Washington and the Oval Office, and et cetera. So it's huge. If, if now to Bahrain, yeah. it was the biggest one. Uh, it's a great example uh, about what is really happening here. I want to ask you about uh, the social networks. To what extent does Israeli public diplomacy make use of uh, social networks? And can these social platforms be useful mobilizing people who are sympathetic to Israel so that they can try to influence public opinion during a war? For example, is uh, this something that can work in Israel's favor when many forces are allied against it, such as the BDS and other uh, others hostile to Israel? So there is, there is warfare taking place on social media. Um, it is a war of the narrative. And just like when you have an operation or a war and at the beginning, it's all about the opening battle of, um, of the war or of the operation. Uh, and the same things with the with the battle on social media. You need to make sure that at the beginning, as things begin, you start strong and make sure that you know you win that first battle, the war of words, uh, so that you can frame whatever it is uh, to in the right way. Uh, and I would say that there is a greater and greater understanding that social media is uh, is you know is key. It is incredibly important. It's not just about winning the war on the ground it's also about winning the war online uh and sometimes having you know your fingers to the keys is as influential as you know having uh your hands on a weapon uh it is it is critical in today's day and age and we you know we use social media to the to the greatest extent that we can um when i was in the idf uh running social media there we used to troll iran online um, and made sure that we, even in a meme, could uh, convey the message to the world about what we're trying to say. And sometimes it's so much easier to understand um, a complex subject like Iran's entrenchment inside Syria with the meme than it is when you try and explain it in, in many more words. Um, and especially when things go viral, um, there's, it's, it's, you know, if you speak with empathy and you use creativity and you show a human face, these things get shared very quickly and to the masses. And that's where you can really have like a game changing effect on a narrative and on the story being told. I have to tell you that I, I, I thought a lot about uh, what you just described, the memes and the, 
and the IDF becoming a, a, a troll. And, and uh, how, how do you decide such things? Because, you know, we, we, we were supposed to be very conservative. This is the, the Israel Defense Forces. It cannot act like uh, any other uh, social media uh, user. But I think, I think it works. Do, did you have to persuade uh, the chief of staffs, etc., people that are very serious and were not born as a, they, they maybe even technophobic guys? Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I would say, ultimately, it's a question of, you know, are you going to take the necessary steps to make sure that there is attention to what you're saying? Um, and commanders and leaders in Israel, they understand this, that I could, I could write a tweet or I could, you know, share a statement that um, is basically the words that I should be saying, but it's nothing that's going to make any effect. But if I did it with a with a with a certain tool or a, a picture or or I put you know at one point I put a Kanye West song on the back of a you know us destroying tunnels of Hezbollah in Lebanon um, and what if you use that kind of that tool to bring attention to what you're saying then people will listen because otherwise it's boring and you've got to remember that when you're on social media it's all about human interaction and if I'm on social media and I see something that's that's you know going to arouse my curiosity when I scroll through my feed then I'll stop and I'll share or I'll look into it and you know you've got to remember that there's it's not really a secret there's no secret code to going viral but you know if you want someone to listen to what you're going to say you've got to use the tools that's going to get you know the the person at the other end to stop scrolling watch and you know hopefully take action or be convinced Uh, so yes, I think it's something that we've, it's proven itself in the past and we'll continue doing, doing it in the future. I want to, uh, to finish maybe, although it's very interesting with, with the question that we, we've already touched uh, this issue, but uh, what do you think, to what extent do public diplomacy officials uh, cooperate with military intelligence units and how open are they in terms of providing intel to help fight public opinion battles you just gave us the examples of the of the footage that proved about these rockets of jihad, of islamic jihad in real time and this is the most important uh, thing real time but uh, maybe when we are not in a war is it difficult to get the intel guys uh, give you uh, these treasures that can you can use to win a daily battle um so first of all the coordination is There's very close coordination um, with Intel. And ultimately, the, we have the same goal. We want to do what we can to defend the state of Israel. So there's always a de there's definitely a mutual understanding about their considerations and their concerns, as well as the need to share information and help fight the um, battle for public opinion. Um, and once there's that understanding, then you know a lot of good, Can be uh, a lot of good can come from that, and we saw that during the operation last week, um, when you know video was released so quickly, so quickly. And this is, you know, you with so much experience covering um, covering these kind of things, you you know that that video that they released uh, showing the rocket misfire from Gaza is a video that in the past could have taken days yeah. um, or even weeks to release, and they released it because they understand the importance of the narrative. So I think the, you know, it, the understanding, that understanding is, is, is growing stronger and stronger. 
And if we continue in this direction of, you know, sharing the narrative, making sure that it gets attention and working together uh, in a coordinated way um, to share the information and share the uh, intelligence um, behind the different, uh, the different incidents that we have to uh, try and uh, deal with, then we're really, we're on a very good trajectory here. Final question, because we're out of time. Uh, I thought about it. Maybe one of the keys to the victory in your uh, battlefield was the, 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 the fact that it was a three-day uh, battle, a three-day uh, uh, military operation in Gaza, not three months or three weeks. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, time is, is definitely key. It was a very short operation. Um, but I'd also say something else. It was an operation where Israel, you know, bega we began strong. We, we said that we were taking initiative to eliminate an imminent threat. And we took pride in our strength. And sometimes I think that we forget that we need to embrace our strength. And that's something that we should, I hope we can continue to do. Um, we've heard about David and Goliath, and I think that, you know, we can, we can reclaim the David, the small, uh, the small country that we are, but we're strong and we shouldn't shy away from that. Um, so it was a, it was definitely, a, it was a short operation, which helped, but also we, you know, we, we said proudly that we're here to fight terror. Um, and we took the necessary steps to, to do that. Um, and I just, if I may want to add one final word about this whole subject, mm -hmm. you know, people seem sometimes a bit hopeless about, uh, Israel's communication efforts and our ability to really win the battle of public opinion. But I'm, I'm really, really optimistic. And, you know, if we were smart enough as a country to think of Iron Dome, you know, which amazes all of us until today then I think we're smart enough to think of something creative to make sure that our story is told and that people listen to it. And we may be outnumbered um, and there may be more likes and shares on the other side, but you know, if we, if we come together and we continue in this direction that we're going, then we can really make a big change. Um, and I think that we can all be optimistic together. I'm with you, international spokeswoman <laughs> for uh, to Prime Minister Yair Lapid, Karen Ajayov. Thank you very much for this interesting uh, chat. And uh, we will now go uh, a very short break and come back with some final thoughts. Toda Karen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and the Normal Soup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East, on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for staying with us. We know this uh, phrase 
asymmetric war, especially when we're talking about Israel with its IDF and intelligence and Mossad and Shabak and the Air Force fighting against uh, relatively small uh, terror organizations like Islamic Jihad and Hamas. But when we are talking about the social networks and the prop propaganda in the media, uh, actually Israel is not Goliath, but David. And we were talking about it with uh, Major Karen Hajiov, who is in charge with, uh, with the Israeli Hasbara abroad. And she said that uh, the major weapon, maybe the most important weapon of Israel in this maybe uh, impossible uh, to win war is the truth. And in this uh, social networks era, if you're uh, sophisticated, sharp, and creative enough, you can make people see and listen to your story, to your narrative. You can uh, help his, this story to become viral. And this is exactly what they're trying to do where she works. The most intriguing point uh, in this conversation was, in my opinion, when uh, I asked her, asked her if uh, the world just lost interest. The international media is not covering uh, the, the regional or the, or the annual or the weekly or monthly uh, uh, fights between Israel and Hamas or Jihad or, or combined. And she said it's not be only because of the war in Ukraine and maybe the tensions between China and Taiwan, but also because there was not enough news, not enough people were killed, and the children that were killed was not killed by Israel, because if it was so, it was a huge story. And uh, she said it, it, because the children were killed and, we, and Israel showed it, by the Islamic Jihad rockets, so no one was very or really interested in the writing or, uh, or uh, showing the world this story. She gave us uh, many examples of uh, how things work uh, in this uh, profession. And uh, she told us that uh, one out of five rockets, 20% from the rockets uh, Islamic Jihad uh, launched against Israel fell short in Gaza and they killed more civilians than the IDF, by the way, first time in history. And uh, that, uh, I think it was noon or afternoon when the first rocket uh, fell into the Jebalia refugee camp in Gaza. I think it's the most uh, populated areas in the world. Her, her phone, Karen Hajio's phone was bombarded uh, with dozens or hundreds of, uh, of uh, messages and calls from journalists all over the world. And she described how they dealt with this very delicate situation that could turn the, the, the all the way around for, uh, is, and take Israel from the winner in this world to the loser. And how Prime Minister Lapid was in the same time in a cabinet meeting and he asked all the heads of military if we can prove or see or show who killed these children. And the chief of staff, General Aviv Kochavi, went out and came back and said the intelligence have all the material. And Lapid gave the order to take it out and show the world, etc. And uh, the bottom line was that uh, it all happened, the fact-checking and everything happened very, very quickly. And at least in this round, 
קרן was uh, relatively optimistic about uh, the new Middle East uh, after the Abraham Accord. She, she, she told us that uh, when she joined Prime Minister Bennett in his trip, I think it was six months uh, ago or something like, like this to Bahrain, this was the biggest ever uh, uh, group of, uh, of uh, journalists, delegation that joined any Israeli Prime Minister since the establishment of Israel. Uh, in, uh, to any trip abroad, and the, the whole situation, even in the social media and communication, is uh, relatively better for Israel, but we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, I hope you found uh, this uh, conversation interesting, and I, uh, as usual, hope to find you here next uh, week in the same place and the same time in own Israel. In Al Monitor, I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care and bye-bye.